0: What this is, is this is Luke chapter 24 out of the Phillips Bible. How many of you have or uh, ever study out of the Phillips? Okay. So go ahead and take this. Uh, we got it. And for Zoomers, I've got it on, on screen, so you guys should be able to see it. Just go ahead and pin it and make it big. So it's good to be back. Um, gosh, I missed you guys over the holidays. I trust everybody had a a, a good Good Thanksgiving or as good a Thanksgiving as you could. And it was uh it was fun. Big and I didn't really know what we were gonna do, and then we both kind of got sick, so the Lord did apparently, <laughs> and then we got some rest. So this is just straight up uh Luke twenty-four, uh, verses one through the end of the chapter. And and the the topic tonight is a continuation a little bit about what we talked about a couple weeks ago before Thanksgiving. But recognizing Jesus in our midst. And I am just so much more convinced of this, that that it is just an incredibly central, central thing. And uh, I know I came back off the sabbatical with a, a, a real consciousness that he was with me on a lot of mundane things. And then I've I've had other encounters. I've got a group of pastors that I meet with on a regular basis uh, once a month, and then another group that I meet with twice a month online and this kind of topic about the centralness of recognizing Jesus. So um, I I quoted something from Baxter Kruger the last time we talked about this, and it's this. uh, Our call to recognize the sacred presence of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in every person, place, and moment. Uh, Baxter, that's how he defines that, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is to recognize the sacred presence of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and every uh, moment, person, and place, and uh, or, or person, place, and moment. And so we had a discussion about that, and it was it was a great discussion uh, a couple weeks ago, for those of you who remember we're here. I'm doubling down on the significance of it based upon even just what Dave said. So like an illustration of that is that even though the circumstance was so frustrating, and I don't know, if, Dave, if you felt like self-recrimination, but when I do something like that, and, like I break something or I'm dumb, that makes it hard for me to to hear the Lord because all of a sudden you're vulnerable to, well, I deserve it, or I did you know this that kind of thing. but the the recognition that He is with us now, that is a different thing than pretending He's with us if he's not. And I'm not suggesting that that's what we ought to do. I'm suggesting he really is with us. And and he said that, right? He's uh, At the Great Commission, he says, all authority has been given to me. So you go and baptize and teach him. And then i will be with you always, even to the end of the age. And then in that day, you'll recognize or you'll know that I'm in my father, you're in me, and I'm in you. And uh, we read in Acts from a third uh, party perspective that Jesus went about with the disciples doing good and so on and so forth. So, that, that's the thought, to recognize the sacred presence of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in every person, place, and moment, turns out to be the very first practical need in Scripture revealed after the resurrection of Jesus. And that's what we're going to look at in here. It's the first practical need that his disciples face following the resurrection of Jesus. And it appears that the challenge to see and acknowledge the risen Jesus with us has always been difficult because we're going to read about it in a couple instances in Luke 24, and it was hard. Yet, then is now, it is a disciple's first critical discipline. Now, that's the propositional statement I'm making, that the essence of discipleship is not necessarily a list of things you need to do. It's not necessarily... Uh, uh, go to church, read your Bible, and pray every day. I think those are all great things. I try to do those sorts of things. Uh, but I I think the core of the core discipline of discipleship may very well be recognizing the presence of the Lord in the midst of it. Okay, and 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 it's a, it's a critical discipline. So let's just start reading, and we'll point out a few things. Uh, so the way this is here is on your sheet as well. And Zoomers, you'll be able to see. So uh, there's six slides that encompass all of uh, uh, Luke 24 in the Phillips translation. And then you'll notice in these little, I included what he put in there, the first day of the week, the empty tomb. And then that's verses 1 through 12. Uh, but that's just this page because it, it's it's a longer section. So you'll, anyway, you'll see it when we get going. So. <clears throat> Just follow along. But at the first sign of dawn on the first day of the week, they went to the tomb. Taking with them aromatic spices they had prepared, they discovered that the stone had been rolled away from the tomb. But going on inside, but going inside, the body of the Lord Jesus was not found. While they were still puzzling over this, two men suddenly stood at their elbow, dressed in dazzling light. The women were terribly frightened and turned their eyes away and looked at the ground. But the two men spoke to them. Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, he is risen. Remember what he said to you while he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and must be crucified and must rise again on the third day. Now, in the other uh, gospel tellings of this, uh, th- these are reported as being angels, and uh, we get the details about Mary seeing Jesus later and so on and so forth. But I just love the speed with which Luke works through this in, in the narration and the way Philip especially makes it happen. So why do you look for the living among the dead? So obviously we're talking about the risen Christ, right? Okay, it's just not a super complicated teaching in that respect. Uh, Then it says, Then they did remember what he said, and they turned their backs on the tomb and went and told all this to the eleven and the others who were with them. And then this tells who we're talking about here. It was Mary of Magdala, Joanne, the mother of James, and their companions who made this report to the apostles. But it struck them, and I think that them is the apostles, I think. It struck them as sheer imagination, and they did not believe the women. Well, you know, that's not the first time that's ever happened. (laughs) Uh, They did not believe the women. Only Peter got up and ran to the tomb. Now, I think it's in John's telling of this that Peter and, and, and John went to the tomb and Peter went into the tomb and John waited on that side. Anyway, so this is Luke's kind of super condensed bang, bang, bang version. Only Peter got up and ran to the tomb. He stooped down, saw the linen clothes lying there all by themselves. And then there's an insight here that I think is fascinating. And he went home wondering what had happened. He didn't go back to the disciples. He went home. And then if you remember this super special thing that I just love, I love, I love, I love is when Paul is talking about what happened. Uh, when Jesus raised from the dead, he mentions that he first visited Peter. And Paul got that by revelation because he obviously didn't know that. And, and so I'm thinking, oh, that's, that's fascinating. So somewhere in here, Peter goes home wondering what had happened and Jesus visits him. And the way we know that is as we move into the next verse here, we're, we're going to get through the, the guys on the road to Emmaus and then it's going to come back. And we're going to find out what the apostles, uh, the 11, were talking about when they they come to him. But now we're into the the walk to Emmaus. Then on the same day, we find two of them going off to Emmaus, a village about seven miles from Jerusalem. as they went, they were in deep conversation about everything that had happened. And while they were absorbed in their serious talk and discussion, Jesus himself approached and walked along with them. But something prevented them from recognizing him. Then he spoke to them. What is all this discussion that you're having on your walk? Now, just keep in mind, the resurrected Jesus, right? The resurrected Jesus. Okay. So uh, Jesus himself approached and walked with him, but something prevented him from recognizing him. Now, this is the first hint that leads to what I said in the opening slide, is that apparently, right from the beginning, recognizing the presence of the risen Christ in your life has been difficult. I don't know why. And I, I, I'm not, I just presumed that that was the case, but I don't know why something prevented them from recognizing him. I, I don't, I, I at one point in my life, I probably would have said, oh, God probably did that or whatever, but I, I, I don't, I don't know now. I don't know now. But what I do know is that Dave's not the first person to get in a tough situation and, and not immediately recognize the presence of the Lord in it. No, neither am I. Neither are you. Neither are any of us. These guys did. Okay. So, but these guys are some of the first, right? After the resurrection of Jesus. So, uh, then he spoke to them. What's all this discussion? They stopped. Their faces drawn with misery. Maybe that's why they couldn't recognize him. Maybe misery or disappointment or confusion or frustration has the ability to blind us from seeing the risen Christ in our lives. They stopped, their faces drawn with misery. And the one called Cleopas replied, you must be the only stranger in Jerusalem who hasn't heard all the things that have happened there recently. What things? asked Jesus. Oh, all about Jesus from Nazareth. There was a man, a prophet, strong in what he did and what he said, in God's eyes as well as people's. Haven't you heard how our chief priests and rulers handed him over for execution and had him crucified? But we were hoping he was the one who was to come and set Israel free. So I don't know whether it was misery or whether it was disappointment rooted in expectations that seemed like they were dashed. Or both. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it kept them from recognizing him. Now, the other thing that's interesting is, did Jesus, was he confused about what they were talking about? I don't think so. He probably had a pretty good idea of what they were mentioning. But what did he do? He engaged. He asked a question. He pulled out of them. Now, It didn't immediately cause him to recognize him. And that's an interesting thing to ponder why. But he, he, so he's willing to take some time with these guys. Was the risen Christ in their midst? Absolutely. Okay. Now, uh, yes. And as if that weren't enough, it's getting on three days since all this happened. This is one of the verses that I chose Phillips for because it just it reads like a real conversation. You know, I love I love the thought of it. Uh, it's getting on uh, for three days since all this happened, and some of our women folk have disturbed us profoundly, for they went to the tomb at dawn, and then when they couldn't find his body, they said they had a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of our people went straight off to the tomb and found things just as the women had described, but they didn't see him. Then he, Jesus, spoke to them, aren't you failing to understand and slow to believe in all that the prophets have said? Was it not inevitable that the Christ should suffer like that and so find his glory? And and that would probably be better translated the Messiah, because this is where the whole history of what the promise of the Messiah was, was beginning to come in after the resurrection. This is one of the first anointings. So, Aren't you failing to understand and and slow to believe all that the prophets have said? Was it not inevitable that Christ should suffer like that and so find his glory? Now, it's true that Jesus here asked, aren't you paying attention to to the scriptures? But he was going for more than that. His presence in our life, is not designed to be conditional upon our ability to exegete the scripture properly. It's just not. Because he didn't give up on these guys. There's a level of revelation that has to come and that we can expect because he proved it right here with the very first need for it. Same thing in, in a, a, another way. Remember, um, uh, in, uh, is it John or Matthew? I don't remember which one it is, but where Mary sees him, and thinks he's a gardener. And she goes, where have you taken the body of my Lord? Her devotion was not in question. Revelation was in question. And he goes, Mary, and she goes, her and she sees him. So, how does revelation come? You know, for Dave, it came on the heels of a little testimony of mine from 50 years ago. Well, that's cool. But for you, it's probably going to be different. But for every one of us and everyone who's not here, I don't mean the people that are normally here that aren't, I'm talking to every person out there. This is what Jesus is doing. This is what the Holy Spirit was sent to do to make Jesus, his dwelling in our hearts known to us. So the the ability is is just, I just think it's amazing. So then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them everything in the scripture that referred to himself. Now that must have been a pretty comprehensive conversation. (laughs) And there's a commentary on it that adds to the horsepower of it that I think is worth looking at. Uh, then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them everything in the Scripture that referred to himself. They were now, they were by now approaching the village to which they were going, which was Emmaus. And he gave the impression that he was going to go further. I wonder why. Was he pulling them in? Was he giving them a role in asking? I, I think so. I think so. He gave them the impression that he meant to go further, but they stopped him with the words, Do stay with us. It's nearly evening, and soon the day will be over. They did not yet recognize that it was the risen Christ with them. But just for civility, for companionship, for courtesy, maybe because they were fascinated by his lesson, maybe they were being encouraged by his lesson. See, I think that's something... I think that the scripture is, is ripe with encouragement. But it isn't the end of the revelation. It's the invitation to the revelation. And I think sometimes we cut ourselves, we sell ourselves short by thinking that it's somehow our responsibility not only to receive what the scripture gives, but to come to the final conclusion with it. When in reality... And this makes me think about what Jesus said to the Pharisees in John 5, which is, you search the Scripture thinking that in me find life, and they are that which speak of me, obviously, because he just spent the the tail end of this walk of miles explaining everything about him with the Scripture. But you refuse to come to me and receive the prize, receive the revelation, receive life. And I think that's something for us to learn, because I think we can know all about, the propositions. We can know all about, we can know objectively that he's with us, that I'll be with you always. We can quote John 14, 20, and we can we can say we're not going to make the mistake of John 5, 39, 40, but none of those declarations, none of those insistences are the same thing as what happened to these guys in just a few minutes. Okay, so do stay with us. It's nearly evening and soon the day will be over. Obviously, Jesus was reeling them in or, Whatever the analogy is, I don't know. So he went indoors to stay with them. Then it happened. I love this statement too. I think the way Phillips did that. Then it happened. While he was sitting at the table with them, he took the loaf, gave thanks, broke it, and passed it to them. Their eyes opened wide, and they knew him. Their eyes opened wide, and they knew him. But he vanished from sight, their sight. Now, you think that that's a sad verse, that he vanished from their sight? It, it almost feels like it. But what if the point of everything was for them to recognize the risen Christ in their midst? It seemed like it had its desired effect. Their eyes opened wide and they knew him, but he vanished from their sight. Then they said to each other, Wasn't it awesome that he was revealed to us when he broke the bread? That isn't what they said. They said, oh my gosh, he was with us the whole time and our hearts were on fire and we didn't even recognize him. And that's not the exact words, but this gives me so much hope when that's the situation in my life over and over and over again. You see what I'm saying? They were getting the benefit. Dave got the benefit of daddy speaking to him about exactly how to start his truck. Come on! But he couldn't grasp it. He couldn't process it. He couldn't hold it because his disappointment or his despair or this stuff. Same thing with these guys. Whatever it was, probably, like you say, you know, misery and disappointment. Uh, But they were able to look back and recognize, weren't our hearts glowing? while He was with us on the road and when He made the Scriptures so plain to us. Now, this is the thing that seals both ends of an important deal. I am super sympathetic to people who are deconstructing out of uh, a Christianity that and a faith and a church structure that keeps God at a distance and just leaves them with work to do and stuff like that when they, you know grace is diminished and all this kind of stuff. But on the other hand... I'm not willing to admit that there's not a treasure in the Scripture that can be... In other words, you don't need to deconstruct that. You need to revisit that in light of the risen Christ in the midst of you and in the midst of that revelation. And how much good stuff... So, like, one of the people that I admire in light of this is Heidi Baker. Uh Heidi grew up when she got going in, in the Lord, she grew up in a very legalistic Pentecostal church. And her relationship dramatically outgrew that legalism, but she's always honored and loved that and loved those people because looking back, she saw Jesus forming her, being with her in their love, and with her, even in that legalism. And I know a bunch of us, a bunch of us have things that we're not interested in living like that anymore because the Lord truly has opened our eyes to grace, He's opened our eyes to relationship and to intimacy and so on but we don't have to stick our nose up and look down our, down our finger and point and, and make a bunch of accusations because He was with us then too we didn't recognize it but weren't our hearts burning? weren't our hearts burning? and they got to their feet without delay and, 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 and so here's what happened then This changed them, right? They they were saying, hey, it's the end of the day. Let's come in here. We're done for the day. They were still clinging to whatever the momentum was of that disappointment, but it completely transformed. And they got to their feet without delay, turned back to Jerusalem. They found the 11 and their friends all together full of news. Now, this the Lord is really risen. He has appeared to Simon now. That's what they were talking about, not the two from Emmaus. But that's what they were talking about when the two from Emmaus got back to the room where the apostles were and their friends. Pretty sure that that's the case here, the way the conversation flows. They were saying, the Lord is really risen. Now remember what I'd said before. They went and looked. They didn't believe the women. The women went and reported. They didn't believe that. Peter went and looked for himself, and then he went home confused. Here's why. The Lord has really risen. He's appeared to Simon now. So, in the amount of time that Jesus vanished, and I, I'm assuming that Jesus was operating linearly, wouldn't necessarily. He could have been in two places at once, but I, I don't know. I, I'm not sure he could have. But it doesn't look like it had to be. He could probably get places quick. When he vanished after blessing the bread for these two guys, in the amount of time it took them to run back the seven miles to Jerusalem. He had visited Peter, let's say, and Peter had made his way back to Jerusalem from where he was living, and and everybody was now convinced, sort of, halfway, he really is risen. He appeared to Peter. We believe Peter. The women, you know, (laughs) we believe in Peter. And I'm not going to make too big a deal of that. The women hung in there pretty good. Then they told the story of their walk and how they recognized him when he broke the bread. So they were able to share their testimony, further reinforcing the fact that the Lord was there. But Jesus didn't leave everybody hung out to dry just on one another's testimonies, because here's what comes next. And while they were still talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said, Peace be to all of you. Now, we can all say right now, Man, if Lord, if you would just do that for me, I would believe, I would never doubt again the rest of my life. So we have the accumulation of the women coming back and saying, Jesus there. If we pull in Mary's story from the other gospel, she literally talked to Jesus and he said, hey, don't hold on to me. Go tell the disciples. I'm going to meet him in Galilee, blah, blah, blah. They didn't believe him when he came. And you know they didn't believe him because when you read Mark's version of it, Jesus rebuked them for not believing the testimony of the women, Right? Okay, but, so they've got that. Peter now, in his despair, had been restored by the Lord, back in a fellowship, not that he was ever out in Jesus' eyes, but he was out in his own when he walked away ashamed that he had denied Jesus three times. He's restored, he comes back, they're trumpeting his testimony, hearing these guys' testimony, probably getting close to believing the women, but then Jesus himself comes in and says, peace be to you all. But they shrank back in terror for they thought they were seeing a ghost. And this is the, this seals the deal on what I put on the opening slide. Honest to goodness, recognizing the presence of the risen Christ in the midst of you and your life, in our community, in our life, in this world and all the mess of it is not easy. And it has never been easy. It wasn't easy that Sunday. It wasn't easy on day one. It wasn't easy for a bunch of people who actually knew him. They had layer after layer after layer of testimony, and then when Jesus himself came in, they still shrank back, uh, for they thought they were seeing a ghost. And Jesus responded, here, this way. Why are you so worried, said Jesus, and why do doubts arise in your mind? Now, let me ask you a question. How many of you, even after we've been talking about this recently, still have the capacity to doubt that Jesus is really in the middle of your stuff? Sometimes. The accusation is still got a few barbs to it, right? It's got a little bit of teeth to it. Sometimes, maybe more than others. Probably the reason is because things don't look like we expect them to look if he's in the midst. We have a preconceived idea, just like the guys did on the road to Emmaus. We thought this was going to be the guy that was going to deliver, restore the the nation of Israel. Now, do I want you to give up your expectations about the goodness and the glory of God? Not necessarily. But I don't want us to get trapped in believing that what our expectations are are the criteria for this because then that's not faith. Faith is believing who he is and what he says. Faith is believing that, in fact, in that day we will know that he's in his Father, we're in him, and he's in us. In that day, I will be with you every day until the end of the age. So there's room for that. I'm not saying we don't have to... I'm not saying it's not okay to have expectations about what God can do in our country or what God can do in our family or what he can do in our politics or in our sickness or in in any of these sorts of things. But what I'm saying is that there's something to be said for how difficult it is to get beyond having to have the things you see and the things you feel validated to believe what is in fact true. Christ is in our midst. And the reason I say it's in fact true is because it's the basis for the way the gospel came to Paul. Right? He had the encounter for sure. I mean, wow, who is this? Who are you? I'm Jesus, whom you're persecuting. That's a big revelation. That wasn't the first time Jesus was with Paul. That was the first time Paul recognized it. Maybe it's the first time that Jesus manifested in such a way. But Paul walked away from that experience and, and the other stuff that he did when he went out into the desert and all that. He walked away with this declaration. Christ in you, the hope of glory, is the mystery that has been hidden from ages past to the Gentiles and everybody, the Jews. But it's been hidden from ages past and now been revealed. Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's why Paul could go to Philippi with the confidence he went because he knew Christ was in them. He knew the risen Christ was in the middle of Lydia's life by the river. See what I'm saying? It's incredible. It really is I, myself. Feel me and see. Ghosts have no flesh or bones as you can see that I have. Now, Here's what I draw from that and what I draw from the next verse. The next verse says, but while they still could not believe it through sheer joy. Okay, now there's another good one, right? Hey, this is just too good to be true. I could see see a skepticism born out of that, and that's probably better than one born out of misery and disappointment that your expectations are not being met. This is too freaking good to be true. But we need to get beyond that one too, and Jesus helps us. How did he help us? Did he go back and reteach the Scriptures? No. He said, "Uh, have you got anything to eat? Do you think he needed something to eat? Do you think the whole ordeal of resurrection had so drained him that he was on the verge of dying again? I'm guessing not. (laughs) Maybe he was really super hungry, but I'm guessing not. But what he did is something that he did to my case. This was an interesting conversation when somebody on Tuesday said, have you had your septic moment? My little septic moments just serve kind of like that piece of bread. Jesus saying, I'm with you, Larry. Here's some dirt. Or I'm with you here. This is going to work. Or, you know, he got into the normal, the mundane. We we couldn't believe in you because we thought you were a ghost. Earlier, we couldn't believe in you because we we're so freaking disappointed that you didn't, you know, that we thought you were going to deliver Israel. And now obviously you're not because you're dead and gone, never to be seen again. And we'll probably be next because in the other gospel, it says they were hiding in the upper room for fear of the Jews. So they probably expected to come, be arrested and nailed up to the cross themselves. So we've got this whole cascading litany of why we don't believe you. And Jesus worked toward the end of overcoming that unbelief, not with more lectures and more Scripture teaching and more this. Hey, you got anything to eat? Well, here's some fish. And, and they gave him a piece of broiled fish and part of a honeycomb. And there's probably all kinds of incredible prophetic stuff you could drag out of there. I've heard some messages about that kind of stuff. But to me, I'm just going to let it be fish and honey. And he said, here and now are fulfilled the words that I told you when I was with you. That everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must come to pass. And this goes back to, to, to my enthusiasm for deconstruction without minimizing the scripture. And whatever role I can play for the rest of my life to help people do that, I'm going to do. Because... We could get lost in the expectations created if we read Moses and the Law and the Prophets and the Psalms without the knowledge that the risen Christ is the fulfillment of everything that we hope for there. But there's no reason to do that because he's willing to sit down and have a hot dog with us in the midst of our truck breaking down or whatever. You know what I mean? Or probably in the midst of our ministry, in the midst of our evangelism, in the midst of all the glorious things that we're trying to do as well, in the midst of our ascensions, in the midst of our prayers and prophecies. He's going to be, He's with us. Then He opened their minds so that they could understand Scripture. Was it their fault that they couldn't understand Scripture? I don't think so. I think it was a condition that required Redemption and revelation. And if we make the mistake of thinking that our discipleship will be successful if we just study better, go more in depth in the Greek, I'm guilty of that. Get it figured out properly. When in fact, probably the best, smartest, most scholarly thing that you can do when you read something in Scripture that you don't understand, just go, Holy Spirit, would you help me understand that? Jesus is, what did you mean when you said that? Papa, what? What's going on, Daddy? What do you, what do you mean? I think we underestimate the power of recognizing not only the presence of the risen Christ in our midst, but his willingness to interact with us in the Scripture, in life, over our business endeavors, He opened their minds so that they could understand the Scripture and added, That is how it was written, and that is why it was inevitable that Christ should suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. So must the change of heart which leads to forgiveness of sins be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning in Jerusalem. This is the primary reason that I liked uh, Phillips. Uh, the others was tone and style. This is a very complicated little verse in the Greek. And it has some of my, as you know, favorite words in it, ace and in, ace and ain. And on most translations, they're all screwed up. They're all back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. This comes close. Uh, NIV, New American Standard, English Standard, a lot of them make this a conditional thing. So must the repentance and forgiveness like they're two different things. In other words, you need to repent, Dan, and then you can be forgiven. What this is saying, ace is the the connector in there. So must the repentance into forgiveness. And as I read it, I think what Jesus was saying is we've got a seamless act here, a seamless gift. Change the way you think about me and you will get forgiveness. Because the forgiveness was already asked for, right? On the cross. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. So there's something to the repentance that helps overcome the ignorance of not knowing what we're doing. And forgiveness is the result of that. It's not a formula that he was putting out here. It's a declaration of the reality that if you'll wake up to me and change what you've thought about your disappointment, about how I'm going to deliver Israel, about the fact that I was leading a rebellion, the fact that I'm dead and gone. If you'll repent, should we have to repent of our own sins? Yeah, probably, you know, because that's a dorky way to live. But I think it's so much more fundamental than that. There is a repentance that is unto forgiveness. And then this is what is being proclaimed. In his name to all the nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And when you think about it, as revolutionary as what Paul said in Colossians, a few years later, Jesus said on the very first night of his resurrection, this is going to be preached to all the nations. That meant Gentiles. That meant non-Jews. This repentance to forgiveness, change of heart to forgiveness. Anyway, I love that verse. And then here's the end. You are eyewitnesses of these things. I spent most of my life in ministry taking that verse seriously, but but pining about it, thinking, man, wouldn't it have been fun to have been there? But now I understand that I am an eyewitness to this as well. I am an eyewitness to the resurrected Christ in the midst of my life. I I don't have to To do them, you know, John 17. Jesus put it in another way when he was praying. He said, "I don't just pray for those that that uh, are here. I pray for those that believe me on their name, that they may be one even as I'm one. I'm going to give them the 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 same glory that you gave me, Lord, and I'm going to be in their in their life, and 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 so they will know the love that you had for me, and I'll be in them." What he says at the end of that prayer. This is before he was crucified. Nothing has been withheld from me. Nothing has been withheld from you. Because there's nothing outside the reality and the realm of the risen Christ in the midst of our lives. Everything else is a byproduct of that. Everything else is a gift. Everything else is a consequence. Everything else is part of a call or an anointing or something along those lines. They're all great. They're wonderful. I don't deny any of them. Every new nuance of revelation. You said something a, a while ago, Dan, which was really a super blessing to me. You said one thing that I like, Larry, is that you, you, you almost always get back to where, what does this have to do with Jesus? You know, Jesus is in the center of this thing. That was, that is a very great compliment. It's very encouraging to me. And sometimes I do that intentionally and other times I just stumble into it. But I am at this stage of my life possessed with the reality, the idea, the truth. That it is about him. It really is. It's not about just cataloging an encyclopedic list of <clears throat> nuanced revelation. Where is Jesus in it? Remember when I was talking a, a few weeks ago, I said, what's the most important thing in one of these verses? You know, this one. You are eyewitnesses of these things. Now I hand over to you the command of my father. Stay in the city then until you are clothed with power from on high. And if you jump up in your mind to Acts, this uh, Luke goes into this more in detail in the beginning of Acts, that this is the promise of the Father. You will be endued with power. And then you guys remember when we did the study on the Holy Spirit, and the one thing that kept going is that every act of the Holy Spirit from creation forward was so that God could be with men and they could know it. He made creation in a way fit for us to live in. He, he revealed the reality of, of Yahweh in the tabernacle and in the temple and then in, in us in this whole thing this is this is it this is this is the plan this is redemption that you this is eternal life that you may know the only true god and Jesus whom he sent and we do And we have friends that do, and we have other friends and neighbors that it's true about, but they don't know it. And that is something that not everybody agrees with from a doctrinal standpoint because there's some conditionality and stuff, and I have come to believe that. I have come to believe that our job is to declare the change of mind that leads to the enjoyment of the forgiveness, the experience of the forgiveness. That to me is the gospel. I believe the gospel is characterized by what Paul said, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And I believe there's an awakening process and a testimonial process that brings that to pass. Then he led them outside as far as Bethany, where he blessed them with uplifted hands. And while he was in the act of blessing them, he was parted from them and was carried up to heaven. They worshiped him, and turned back to Jerusalem with great joy and spent their days in the temple praising and blessing God. That's the end of Luke. We know there was more that went on there, right? We know there's more that went on. You can read it in Acts and you can read it in the other Gospels. But look at the different reaction than the first one. After they were aware, awakened to the reality of the risen Christ in their midst, and they now they go back and they go, well, oh, we worshiped him. They didn't not worship him because they were scared or not worship him because they were overwhelmed by joy. They were able to worship. They turned back to Jerusalem with great joy. And then this just seems so every day, right? They spent their days in the temple praising and blessing God. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> And so this becomes a measuring stick a little bit for us not in a legalistic way but in a in a in a mental way a relational way do you hang out worshiping God and yay or or do the circumstances have to be shaped in such a way that it uh brings the presence yes guys Alan Myra
1: I think it's. It, it's, it's amazing, brother, you you're talking about that because I see, look back on my journey and I can see that Papa never left me. If you feel know what I mean? But there's been times in my life where I was, I felt as if I was just clinging on by a thread. But, but it's like he always told me of the last at least six years, probably 10 years now, don't underestimate what I'm doing in you, through you and around you. And there's, it's like those fellows that they finally they finally grasped the truth, but then the truth continues to grow as we walk out our life. And it's sort of like I can look back when I when we're we, and everyone could testify for this when you're in trauma when things are going wrong. It's like what Dave was saying, everything's going wrong, and and you, and it's almost as if you are shut down, and then when you see him in the midst. The trauma, and you start to climb out of that, that thing, all of a sudden you say, Oh, that's what you were doing. And it's that revelation, that continual revelation that we have and we grow. It's like in him we live and breathe and have our being, but it's, it's a growth. It's not, it's definitely not, not sudden. And, and the biggest thing Papa's pointed out to me, our when you're in trauma, even though you were clinging on to me, there's things that you, couldn't see because of what was going on around you. It's almost as if you were blinded, like those fellas. They couldn't see because of their trauma. When you climb out of that, all of a sudden you have, Oh, I remember that. I remember that. And that's what Papa's doing to me now is reminding me of all the things that's happened. And wow, it's, 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 but it's, but through it all, actually through it all, it's being kind to yourself. Because what we can do is the old flesh can say, oh, we should have seen that, we should have done that that way. No. (laughs) It's like, it's it's that revelation that we get, which means so much more as we walk out life with him.
0: Amen. There's no reason, there's no reason for, to entertain accusations. There's no reason for reproach, you know. Uh, certain scriptures that that is very difficult to believe in, once you see, once you recognize him in your life, not just today, but in the past, in the mistakes, in the other things, when you see him there, you know, then where the scripture says, uh, God causes all things to work together for good for those that love him and are called according to his purpose. Well, they sure as hell don't feel like they're good when you can't see him, right? And you, so you start, well, why? Why, why once not you do this? Why did I? Well, once you see him, once you can have your eyes open, he's redeeming not just today and not just here going to heaven or something. He's redeeming that stuff too. It changes. The, the, the shaping that it did, the blindness that it caused. I mean, if you, if you press forward, and, and this is what I'm saying, be okay, be easy on yourself a little bit. These same guys in the book of Acts were standing there just before Jesus ascended and and they asked the same question that they were disappointed about 40 days before. Well, is now the time you're going to return the kingdom to Israel? Well, that's for the Father to know. Let's just be about you walking in the power of my spirit, recognizing my presence. Redemption reaches back reaches forward, reaches in, and pulls all this stuff out. Dave? So that question that you asked me, and I'll go back to that, which one felt better, and I said uh, I couldn't differentiate between which one felt better, but I didn't feel guilty or I didn't feel bad about not hearing daddy the first time or it being garbled the first time. There was no Guilt or anything, he was right there with me, and and then I could see it later on. But there was no guilt or, you know, bad feeling about not hearing him the first time. They were, they were both so very wonderful. Some dimension to that scripture says, If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask. And God who gives without reproof. Jen, the work you do with uh, Splonga, I mean, was Jesus there? Absolutely. Is the recognition of his presence there part of the process? And is it redemptive? One hundred percent of the way. It is. Yeah, Dan.
2: Connecting his quote on the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I know so many of us pick that up as a child, and it's fear, 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 fear that God is, you know, there and he's mad at us. And I like Kruger's definition. And I was just thinking it it's like do I know that? And sometimes our terminology, our tone belies that. So, for instance, I've said it, and I've heard many people say it you know, Jesus is always with me, Jesus is omnipresent. And it's like, listen to the tone of your voice. Uh-huh. That should be, Jesus, oh, he's always here. You know, there should be some kind of recognition of, yeah. Holy cow, this is astounding that God is with us. And sometimes we can connect that to, you know, to uh, anecdotes where, uh, you know, people meet somebody where their hearts really connect and they have a great conversation. They say, maybe I was entertaining angels. And it's like, maybe the Spirit of God was talking to the Spirit of God, Mm -hmm. whether it was a person, an angel, and you were entertaining angels, or whether it was just some guy and you connected in the Spirit is there because it is there. But we want to label and categorize those things and, well, did you have an angel visit or mm-hmm, did you have mm-hmm. this? Or yeah, yeah. As opposed to just, I need to well, be partly, swimming in the amazing... Don't you think it's reality. partly
0: because we're terrified of subjectivity, so we want to try to nail it down so we know we're right? When, yeah. Is it okay to err in favor of the general belief that what Jesus said was true?
2: Right. Yeah, I mean, it's the same reason why we... We argue over doctrines because if I can get the other people to agree with my doctrine, it validates my doctrine. Absolutely. Which shows that I have fear of what my doctrine is and exactly. I'm not really sure Exactly of exactly. what that is.
0: And, and and so this tone, the enthusiasm reflected in the tone. <clears throat>
2: yeah.
0: I mean, look what those guys did. Jesus himself appeared to them and they were afraid because they at first they were afraid and then they were afraid because it was too good to believe. Yeah. So it's okay. That's the garbage he's <laughs> He's redeeming us from. That's the weakness, the vulnerability. Yeah, Greg.
2: As the scriptures say, but he vanished from their sight. And it struck me, he never needed to walk anywhere.
0: I'm thinking not. Yeah, He, he had I'm no need not. to
2: walk on the road to Emmaus. Yeah. Which leads me recognizing Jesus in our midst as he really, really wants to. Mm-hmm.
0: And... Midst. It also, you know, blessed is uh blessed are you because you've seen, blessed are those that believe without seeing. What does that mean? It must mean that there's something about our restored image bearing status and our confidence and faith that is enhanced by and when we don't have to have him eating fish with us. But he's willing to eat fish with us when we need it. Don? I'm going rereading.
3: Uh, mr Baxter's um shack revisited and it's it is it's it's <laughs> but this whole thing about um uh jesus being well i've come to the conclusion that even if a person is not a believer doesn't val- doesn't not n- 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 Negate the fact that Jesus is, in the, is 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 present.
0: I believe that with all my heart.
3: And and um, to me that that is that's interesting with when we talk about evangelism um, because I was with a sister the other day and she and I was talking about you know traveling and 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 she was saying oh yeah I meet some. She meets some people, you know. and I, Oh yeah, you know. And she right right away she said, "Well, did you tell him? Did you tell him about Jesus?" <laughs> but then there's another. I heard saw a, um, a fellow on somebody put put on something on Facebook. Where this gentleman was talking about Revelations three twenty, Jesus, and he said he he didn't quite think that was a good picture of Jesus. You know, we've seen this picture of Jesus knocking on the door you know, and but but the whole thing, I guess I'm drawing from, from it, and all this is that uh, recognition. We've had the privilege, I and mean, we, we do have, everyone has this recognition. Recogn- that's just, yeah
0: to the uh, Greeks on Mars Hill. Uh, He said, as your own poets have said, in him we live and move and have our being. If we just let that mean just the fundamental level of reality that we don't have to trump it up to mean something that makes you don't, you don't have to repent, you don't have to recognize, you don't have to confess. Those are all, there's instruction in scripture about how important that stuff is. But what if we just start there? That this is where God God we're, we're the people that we love, the people that we encounter, they're they're in spite of the way they behave and in spite of how they protest otherwise. Because remember, it's a fool that says in his heart there is no God. <laughs> He's not telling the truth. He's speaking like a fool. So yeah, yeah. Praise God.
3: I don't know. I've been telling my friends or people, well. I only know one person who's never believed a lie, and that's Jesus. Sometime, somewhere in our lifetime, all of us have believed a lie. So, I mean, how? how I, I just I push away from this sort of general judgmentalism or whatever on that. Yeah.
0: You know, it's judging the book before you finish reading it. <laughs> it's it's getting into chapter three of a twenty four page novel and then tr- trying to say eh, it's no good. It's not going to work. Okay, well, whatever. Yeah. The book was already written before you decided to cut it short at chapter three. <laughs> just
3: just <laughs> thanking thanking the Lord. I mean, you know, I've got a few more years than the rest of you, but you look back on your life and and. S- and I, you know, I look back and I whoa, I'm here to this place today, but there was some s- tough stuff that went through, when I went through, but the Lord, was, he was in there, but at the time I didn't know it. Yeah.
0: That's the redemptive reality that, that he's been at this for a while. Praise God, buddy. Hey, you guys, just so you know, uh, Don's going to be out here. He's coming out in a few days about a week, and he's going to be hanging out with his kids here for a little bit, so we'll get to see him some, cool. permanently. Praise God. So, that's awesome. Thoughts, questions, stories, and then this is the guiding principle. How are you doing recognizing the risen Jesus in your stuff? But you don't have to answer that one. Um. Now, I had a question for you it was a curiosity question that Jesus opened their minds do you think it was another one of his miracles or just he provoked them into thought Yeah that's a good that's a good way what, you know how do you yeah. want to believe that do you want to believe that yeah. that yeah. Uh, you haven't done a study on that in Greek no, and Hebrew have No you? <laughs>
2: no <laughs> yeah it was very yeah. interesting that I had never looked at it that way, that he
0: opened their minds, you know. You know, the, what it makes me think about right now is where, I think it's in Peter or something, it talks about how men of old were moved on by the Holy Spirit to prophesy. That, that our life with God is interactive, mm-hmm. including our minds. And, uh, yeah. and we have a tendency to think of our mind as the faculty with which we analyze and not so much with which we receive. And I, I don't know, yeah. so I would lean towards the fact that there was a supernatural, if not miraculous, yeah. component to, to that.
4: I'm kind of intrigued by um, a lot of the people that I. I can I go this way? Yeah, you talk about a lot about of, of the people that are that I'm reading. We're all in the same pursuit, so I'm thinking of some of the mystic women mm-hmm. that I read, Julian of Norwich, and Madame Guyon. And I'm also thinking of some of our present day um, prophets, uh, Eugene Peterson, uh, Richard Rohr. There's a lot of people talking about this. There is. Not just in our camp. Yeah. And I appreciate all of the perspectives are kind of like spokes, in my opinion, uh-huh. to the same core. How do we... Let Jesus open our mind. And in in, in thinking, I thought about that too, in thinking about that, um, he revealed the scriptures to them. And so he brought them into a deeper understanding. And I am finding some joy in that lately too. Like as I have now some growth or different ways of thinking about knowing God and union and all that that now when I go back and read the scripture, I can't get through it hardly without crying most of the time because there's just a deeper revelation of it. He's opened the mind. I have been crying so much lately. And finally I said to the Lord the other day, what is this? What is going on? Am I still in grief? What's happening? And he said, remember a long time ago when you used to say you could feel God's presence in worship, especially when you started to cry? Well, here we still are,
0: <laughs>
4: except I'm crying like That's awesome. every day all the time. <laughs> That's really awesome. <laughs> so cool.
0: Yeah, yeah. I've uh, I've just been introduced to a book that I'm going through with a, a small group of pastors called The Other Half of the Church. And uh, I listen to you guys' podcast about uh, Enneagram things you talked about. And this is uh, in that vein a little bit. The Other Half of the Church, uh, there's a guy named Jim Wilder who is a neurotheologian, and he has to do with brain scans as to how we, things happen in our brain. Uh, come in on the right side, come across, go to the left side. And that he, uh, the guy that is co-writing the book with him, that with Wilder, is or that learned from Wilder, is a guy at a megachurch that was hired as a discipleship pastor. And it bugged him that the discipleship methods worked for some people and didn't work for others. And Wilder helped point out that there's some stuff, and I'm going to be talking about it a little bit in the future as I understand a little bit better. But one, the four categories that this Wilder points out that, that cause character growth, that allow character growth is joy. Uh, a, a very real sense of security has said community. <clears throat> we statements as opposed to I statements about your identity. So that, that as you settle into your identity, you, you see yourself in association with others. So I, I thought about our image bearing status and this kind of thing. And the last one is, um, feedback, which we do. So these things help create character and that it's a, it's a right brain, left brain kind of amalgamation instead of half brain Christianity. Uh, but there's all kinds of stuff like that, all of which is fed by Jesus. So, my closing thought, and then we'll get the kids out here and, and uh, Laurel's got some stuff to do with the tree and stuff. Um Anyway, my closing thoughts are how silly would it be if we pick somebody who's just like a really good musician? And uh I'm so old, I don't know any new ones. So uh it would be like having the opportunity, if you were a guitarist, to study with Jimi Hendrix back in the day. But you opted instead to study the Jimi Hendrix method. <laughs> what a dumb choice that would be if you actually had access to Hendrix himself. I mean, you know, it's not a perfect illustration. You might not want to hang out with Hendrix because he might have been a jerk. I don't know, but you, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, exactly. But uh, we have, we, we, we don't just have the Jesus method. We have Jesus. So, praise God.